Hello, welcome to Sleep Unplugged. My name is Chris Winter. You are listening to episode three. And as I promised, I really wanted to hear what you wanted to find out more about, listen to. And I encourage people to actually reach out um, and give me some topics that you are interested in hearing about. And you did. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to make the first Monday of every month Insomnia Monday. So if you didn't tune in to episode two uh, last Monday, the topic was insomnia. And it's a huge topic. We're going to spend a lot of time dealing with that topic, that topic slowly. And I'm actually excited about that. You know, when I see a patient in my clinic who's dealing with insomnia, I've got 30 minutes, 45 minutes to solve the problem. You know, obviously we can see patients multiple times, but I feel like I've got so much I need to talk about and unpack in a short period of time. And I'm really excited to have this platform where we can go at a nice slow pace and really build towards a workable solution for your insomnia. So we'll make the first Monday of every month, Insomnia Monday. So today for episode three, I put it out in the universe. What do you want to hear about? And on Twitter, Instagram, running into people that I saw uh, at the gym, uh, the topic was overwhelmingly menopause. And I'll say a few things about that. I was actually the last, if you actually watched the video on my YouTube channel of the last podcast, I was in Atlanta at a convention of school nurses, and it was massive. And they were lovely. This is the National Association of School Nurses. They were one of the most accommodating, friendly, energetic audiences I've ever had the uh, pleasure of speaking to. And even a lot of them said, hey, we we heard your first podcast, and we think uh, menopause would be a great topic. So I, I I wholeheartedly agree. And I'll, I'm going to go back very quickly. My first book, The Sleep Solution, I started writing that book and it was a much bigger book than what was it, what ended up being published. In fact, I had chapters and chapters on children um, and I also had a section on menopause. And unfortunately, it had to be cut. Well, things had to be cut. Um, but if I could go back and redo that book, if there's ever a you know, updated version of that book, I can promise each and every one of you, menopause is going in the sleep solution, volume two, for sure. It's like the greatest hits album of your favorite artist. And you're like, why did they not put that record or that song on the greatest hits album? Sort of like. The Eagles' greatest hits didn't have Old 55. I love the song Old 55. Anyway, um, it, it's it's always on volume two, right? So let's talk about menopause today. I, I want to do one more thing before we get started that I've meant to do before the first, uh, at the beginning of my last two episodes, and just go through really quickly just some disclosures. I always think that's a good idea. Um, I am on here. I am not trying to sell you anything. This podcast is free. Um, I'm not being paid to do it. Um, 
I am selling my books, The Sleep Solution and The Rested Child. I have a financial interest in both of those. I do have a clinic, just like any other doctor would have. I do work for sleep.com as an advisor because they're really interested in getting great scientific content out there about their products. And I do speak for a couple pharmaceutical companies that make medications for narcolepsy. I do not speak or have any dealings with pharmaceutical companies on behalf of sleeping pills or anything of that nature. Um, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about narcolepsy and why I feel strongly about that. Okay, here we go. Menopause. So menopause is a difficult situation for a lot of people because menopause, as it happens, does tend to affect for a lot of women their sleep quality. So defining menopause, and again, I'm a neurologist and sleep doctor. My wheelhouse is not in uh, women's health, reproductive health. Sorry, I'm, you can tell I'm an amateur at this, keep pulling on my microphone cable. Um, but menopause generally is defined as the time after a women's last period. Uh, I think that the, the technical definition is the period a year after a woman's final period that begins menopause. And I think up until that point, the individual is pre or perimenopausal. And, and if I'm wrong, or if I'm making egregious errors in these definitions, um, please just DM me on social media, or you can just tag me in your own post and set the record straight. I'm not here to create misinformation. We used to always call these black pearls in medical school when somebody of authority gave you a great pearl of wisdom that when you laid it on somebody else later on, you found out that it was incorrect. Uh, it was a black pearl. Um, so I'm not interested in giving you all black pearls. So generally around the age of 50, uh, women um, go through menopause. It can be earlier, can be later, can be medically induced because of a surgery or something of that nature, medication. Um, but we're just talking about general menopause around 50, 51, woman has her last menstrual cycle and several things start to happen. Number one, we all talk about estrogen levels dropping. Um, that's probably one of the defining characteristics of menopause, but also there's a chemical called follicle stimulating hormone FSH starts to rise because the body is trying to stimulate the follicle, uh, which is not responding anymore. So FSH ri levels rise estrogen levels drop, and you start to see some of the characteristic traits of menopause. Um, the things I want to focus most on in this conversation have to do with the aspects of menopause that are most likely to affect sleep. And without doubt, the biggest one is hot flashes. Um, but that's not the only uh, only one. Uh, mood changes that that go along with menopause can certainly affect sleep, um, as can the changing uh, risk factors for developing other medical and sleep disorders can certainly cause that as well too. Um, weight changes in women probably affect sleep, as do pain. There's some other social socioeconomic and social factors we'll get into as well. 
So when you look at individuals who are going through menopause, about half of them are going to complain of sleep problems. And generally, this looks like what we would describe as being insomnia, but we can break it down a little bit more specifically. Without doubt, the most common insomnia or sleep-like problem that most women going through menopause experience is difficulty maintaining sleep. So if you remember from episode two, we started laying out definitions of insomnia, some definitions that are helpful, other definitions that I don't believe are particularly helpful, particularly the ones that um, have to do with duration. How long have you had it? How many days a week do you have it? I frankly don't care how many days a week a woman who has menopause is struggling with her sleep. If she feels like it's a problem, in my clinic, it is a problem. If it's once a week, we're going to work on trying to make it better. Um, so, so when you look at the breakdown, virtually, without doubt, the highest complaint that individuals with menopause have is difficulty with awakenings after they fall asleep. Um, sometimes that's referred to as WASO, W-A-S-O, wake after sleep onset. So once an individual falls asleep until the time they wake up, how much time are they actually awake during that time? The other complaint that you see relatively frequently is difficulty falling asleep. Individuals with insomnia can struggle um, to actually initiate sleep. And we talked about that again in episode two, uh, that sleep initiation, you often see, or at least characteristically, or we've always thought of that as being associated with anxiety. Um, and you can see that as well, too, in menopause, because risk for depression and psychological uh, conditions like depression and anxiety certainly do go up. The one thing that you don't typically see uh, in menopause is individuals having early awakenings. Alarm set for seven, they're waking up at six. Can happen, but that's much less common than difficulty staying asleep and difficulty initiating sleep. Um, so that's generally what we're seeing when it comes to insomnia complaints. So before we jump into this, I want to talk about the sleep that you actually see in individuals with who are going through menopause. These studies are difficult. I will preface this by saying often the studies are very small numbers. They can be poorly controlled. So if you can imagine trying to get a large population of women who are pre and post menopause controlling for different variables like exercise and comorbid mood conditions and medications is very difficult. But these polygraphic studies, and when I say polygraphic, uh, polysomnographic, what I'm saying is sleep studies. Polygraph is a lie detector. If I say polygraph, I've made a mistake. But if I'm saying polysomnographic, multiple poly, som, sleep, graph, uh, some sort of a measurement. Uh, so sleep studies of polysomnograph. So there are PSG, polysomnographic studies, um, and they generally don't show a lot of changes in sleep. 
So when you're looking at a sleep study, or if you're a woman with menopause, the first question is, do I need a sleep study? The answer is probably yes, but it's generally not yes to prove via that sleep study that you have a sleep problem. Once again, when you come into a sleep physician's or clinician's clinic, when you say you've got a sleep problem, that's enough. We never want to do a sleep study to prove that a problem exists. We can do a sleep study to see if there are underlying problems in sleep that might be exacerbating that issue. But again, we are never going to do a sleep study in a woman, see that it looks relatively normal, and then say to her, I guess what? You don't have a sleep problem because your sleep study is normal. We might say that it doesn't support an underlying sleep problem or something of that nature. So when you look at these sleep studies, again, they're small studies. They do show a couple interesting things. Several of them have shown that individuals with menopause can sometimes reflect more wakefulness after sleep onset. And that is a very easy thing to measure in a sleep study. Again, the problem is when I see a postmenopausal woman and do the sleep study, what am I, what am I um, comparing wakefulness after sleep onset to? Um, because I generally don't have a premenopausal sleep study to compare it to. But in general, you might see that. The one interesting thing that you can see in some sleep studies is an increase in slow wave sleep, which we often call deep sleep. And a lot of sleep experts kind of wrestle with what this means. Is it real? And if it is, what does it mean? Does it mean that an individual who's coming to your clinic saying that they're going through menopause and not sleeping as well is having more deep sleep? Generally, deep sleep is the sleep that you want. It's the sleep that you recognize as great sleep. It's the sleep that makes you feel good. So some people think that might be a compensatory mechanism. Um, it's very unclear exactly uh, what that means. There is definitely evidence that we see in sleep studies of postmenopausal women of hyperarousal. And once again, we have a chicken and the egg kind of situation. Some people look at that and say, well, these individuals are coming in, they're upset about their sleep, uh, they're stressed about their menopause, their uh, other factors in their life are leading to more stress. Those are the individuals who would come to a sleep clinic because of problems with their sleep. And what you're seeing in that sleep study is a reflection of that natural hyperarousal that they're seeing. And as we talk more about insomnia in future episodes, anxiety and hyperarousal plays a huge role in that problem, in, in that disorder. And, and we'll talk more about that as well, too, because that's a there's different different ways you can interpret that. But in general, when you're looking at sleep studies and in individuals with postmenopausal individuals, women, what we're seeing is generally less sleep time total and more wakefulness after sleep onset. One more thing I'll mention, and if you look it up in a web browser, sleep stages by age, you'll probably find in your Google image search a really interesting graph that's showing all the different sleep stages as an individual ages from birth till their senior citizens and getting the senior citizens discount at the buffet. And what you see is a couple of things. Number one, gradual decline in total sleep. 
which makes sense because if you think about an infant and how much they sleep and a toddler and a preschooler and a grade school student and a high school student and a young adult and an older adult and a senior citizen, if you were to plot out the average time those individuals sleep, they're all declining. Now, sometimes that decline in total sleep time is very rapid. Think about a young, a baby going from his you know birth through his first few years on this planet. There's a pretty big diminishment of total sleep time. And we know this. You bring your baby home. They're sleeping through the night, hopefully, and taking three naps. And at some point, in their maturation, you decide, well, time to get rid of that second nap. They're dropping their second nap. And we think nothing strange about this. Of course, they're going to drop their second nap. They're maturing. They're not going to need as much sleep when they're five years old as when they were five months old. We accept that. Well, if you actually look at these graphs of total sleep time over a lifetime, what you see is that total sleep time is constantly always diminishing. Now, sometimes it's faster than others, and it's been postulated that in and around menopause and that perimenopausal period is another retraction of sleep that might be a little bit more rapid. So when you look at that reduction in total sleep time, that increase in wakefulness after sleep onset, could that be a reflection of an individual who, as they go through this process of menopause, is reducing the total amount of sleep that they need? So that's been thrown out there as well, too. So let's get into hot flashes. Hot flashes, I think, uh, are extremely important when we talk about menopause. When you ask women going through menopause who have hot flashes, tell me about your sleep about 80% of those women are going to say their sleep is not good. In other words, that, that, that presence of hot flashes is wildly predictive of an individual's sleep problems when, when you see them. And these hot flashes often happen at night, often happen in conjunction with sweating. So when individuals have hot flashes, they're likely to tell you that they are three times more likely to struggle to stay asleep during the night than women going through menopause who don't really have hot flashes. So it's a major risk factor. And as such, it's a major target for treatment. Uh, and we'll talk more about that at the end. But when you're thinking about treating hot flashes, you can utilize medication or you can adjust and capitalize on temperature. And we'll talk about those things um, uh, towards the end of the podcast in terms of things that you can do to actually affect the change um, that you're seeing in your sleep with menopause. The second big thing after hot flashes uh, the item that you're most likely to see associated with poor sleep is changes in mood, specifically depression. Uh, a risk, the risk for depression in women with menopause doubles. Um, and we know that sleep, poor sleep, influences mood and depression. 
but depression can work backwards and influence sleep. Uh, so it's often very bi-directional. And which direction is dominant to me is relatively academic. We want to we want to deal with both. We want to deal with that primary mood disturbance, but we also want to independently try to optimize sleep, knowing that if we can optimize sleep a little bit, it'll make the depression better. If the depression's a little bit better, it might make the sleep a little bit better, and people start spiraling upward instead of downward. Um, outside of depression, anxiety, rumination, uh, frankly, being neurotic, um, chronic stress, all of these things can play a huge factor in a woman's sleep when she's going through menopause. So we want to pay attention to all of those things and really try to come up with game plans for all of those things. Comorbid conditions, the big one that we see in our clinic, other medications, not just sleep medications, which are wildly common, um, but also other medications for other medical disorders. We always want to be very careful and audit every medication that a woman is taking to make sure that it's not playing a role in an individual's sleep problems. Because the next item on the list of our, of our checklist here, so we've got hot flashes, we have mood and depression, we have comorbid medical conditions and medications. Comorbid sleep is a big one. And the nice thing about comorbid sleep conditions are they are generally fixable if we can find them. So now we'll go back to that sleep study. Should you have a sleep study if you are a woman going through menopause, struggling with their sleep, struggling with her sleep? Of course you should. Um, it's a very appropriate test. Doesn't mean it's for everyone, but if you're in my clinic and we're sitting down talking about your sleep, listen, my sleep 10 years ago was fantastic. I've gone through menopause now and I've really been struggling just kind of out of the blue. In addition to having difficulty staying asleep, I'm much more sleepy during the day. Um, I sometimes not off in church. Like if there's actually, we're seeing signs that an individual sleep is really breaking down. The sleep study can be a wonderful tool for at least answering the question, is your sleep problem free? Because if it's not, and you've developed something like sleep apnea, we can treat it. So what's sleep apnea? Sleep apnea, we will definitely cover in future episodes. Sleep apnea is a breathing disturbance where an individual's upper airway in obstructive sleep apnea is collapsing. So you can sleep or you can breathe, but you cannot do both at the same time, which is not great. But fortunately, your brain loves oxygen more than it loves slumber. So your brain simply interrupts sleep, catches its breath, goes right back to sleep again. Most people with sleep apnea really have no idea they're doing it. Their partner knows, but they don't. So who cares? So they wake up, catch your breath, go back to sleep. What does it matter? Well, what it matters is you're not able to get the same depth of sleep you would have had you not been having sleep apnea. It's like you've got a snorkel and I've got a scuba tank and we're going to swim down to look at the shipwreck and see what we can see. You know, the, the endurance was just discovered, um, which is a fantastic story. Um, the ship that that sailed to the North Pole, I think. No, was it the South Pole? I'm blanking on it now. But anyway, um, fantastic book if you've ever read that. Um, but since we're gonna we're gonna explore the endurance shipwreck and we're swimming down there. You've got a snorkel, I've got a scuba tank. You're not gonna ever really see the shipwreck because you're gonna have to keep going back up to the surface to catch your breath. I've got a scuba tank. I can hang out and look at all kinds of stuff down there. The ship was 
wildly preserved, which is crazy. So sleep apnea is the same way. Like you can't get any depth to your sleep because you're constantly waking up to catch your breath. Uh, woman's risk of sleep apnea is somewhere around 2%. After menopause, it doubles, maybe even more. So your risk of developing sleep apnea really goes up during menopause, even if your weight doesn't. Um, in addition to sleep apnea, so snoring, breathing disturbances, pay attention if your partner is mentioning those things. In addition to those things, there's also restless leg syndrome and periodic leg movements where where people kick, women are much more likely to have this in general. If you had it during pregnancy, very good chance you're probably going to have it during menopause. So paying attention to those things can be very helpful. I always thought psychosocial things. I mean, when you look at a woman going through menopause, it's often a big transitional period in their lives. Um, more demands at work. You're more senior at work now. A lot of stress. Um, women who are in this age bracket often perceive excuse me, often perceive their health as being uh, poor. Uh, there was a massive Finnish sleep study, uh, I'm sorry, retrospective study at looking at women who at this point actually felt like work stress was exacerbating their sleep problems tremendously. Uh, so the, this, this Finnish study really felt like work stress was a big problem in the menopausal age women. Um, higher education tends to be protective from these sleep problems, as does earning more money and having better marriage. So looking at these types of things and asking the question, are these things positives in my life? Are they negatives? And if they're negatives, working on those types of things can actually help improve sleep. All right. So let's get to the interventions. What can you do about it? To me, there's nothing better than cognitive behavioral therapy. What we don't want, we want to deal with the problem as it is. I'm going to bed. I wake up four or five times during the night, um, and it's it's creating a problem in my life. Keep in mind, the average human wakes up about 30 times during the night. Um, so when somebody says to me, my sleep's a disaster, I wake up two, maybe three times during the night, roll over, go back to sleep pretty quickly, I, I would say that that's probably not that big of a deal. So when we engage with cognitive behavioral therapy, what we're doing is we're learning to see the problem as it is. We're not making something that's small, big. We're actually seeing it for what it is. And sometimes when you tell somebody, hey, look, people wake up during the night, waking up three or four times during the night, fluffing a pillow, rolling over and back to sleep, maybe it takes a bit longer to fall asleep. It's not does not mean you got a bad night of sleep. And believe me, we will talk about sleep belief in future episodes how you believe your sleep is going will dramatically influence the way you feel the next day, maybe more so than the way you actually sleep. So always keep that in mind. Um, outside of cognitive behavioral therapy, yoga, meditation, massage, exercise, all of these things can be wildly helpful. So taking stock of your sleep, um, postmenopausal, you're struggling to, 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 stay asleep throughout the night. How do you feel during the day? Does it have a big impact on, on what's going on? We talked about that in the last episode, that that disability has to be there. So if a woman said, look, prior to menopause, I didn't really wake up much during the night. Now I wake up two to three times, but I go back to sleep pretty quickly and feel great. I don't think there's, there's much to see here. 
So outside, and exercise has to be part of the equation. And maybe whatever exercise you're doing now needs to be stepped up as you're going through menopause, irregardless of weight changes. The second treatment for this is hormone replacement. Uh, this is a personal choice that each woman will make as to whether or not she wants to do this. And there's several factors that influence that. Um, we often talk about the safety of hormone replacement therapy in relation to things like cancer and blood clots. Blood clots, I find really interesting. We were just in terms of how we view risk, you know, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, there was a lot of news about blood clots, um, whether or not they were safe to be taking. I think the last number said something like one in 100,000 individuals taking that vaccine could develop a blood clot, uh, which we want to be cognizant of. When you're looking at individuals uh, with um, hormone replacement, uh, it's something like 90, it's like nine in 10,000 women on hormone replacement therapy will have blood clots above what you would typically see, or that would be 90 out of 100,000. So, you know, 90 times the risk of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, give or take. You know, birth control pills can create clots as well, too. I, I think that's somewhere between 0.3 to 1%. Let's call, let's go to the low number, 0.3%. That's 0.3 out of 100, three out of 1,000. That's 300 out of 100,000. So, you know, clot risks, anytime you're manipulating things like this should be taken care of, taken into account, giving this to give you a broad sense of overall risk. I'm not a hormone replacement guru. There's a lot of controversy out there. My guess is whatever I know about it is probably already outdated. So what can you do that's that's not those things? So temperature is huge. Manipulating your temperature is extremely important. Your bedroom should be about 65 degrees. So whatever temperature you're at right now, consider dropping it down. If you like it 70 degrees, can you get your temperature down to 68 um, and see what that does for your sleep? If you're somebody who can't really change the temperature of your room, can you change the temperature of your bed? And there's wonderful products for that. I'm a huge fan of ChiliPad, Uller, DocPro. There's another company called Eight Sleep out there. These devices, basically, you plug them in, you fill them with water, and they circulate water through your bed to cool it. I sleep on one myself and love it. Uh, not being paid to say that. Uh, it is very cold in my bed. And I have talked to several women who have bought these products. They're not cheap, but they all have very liberal return policies. I always tell women, buy it. If it changes your sleep, amazingly, you'll probably be thrilled for with every dollar you spend on it. If you don't like it or it's not helping, send it back. But I have talked to some women. In fact, there's a primary care doctor here in town who said, this is radically changing the lives of the women I recommend it to. So don't sleep on, on, on those products because they can be wonderful. Uh, hot flashes can also sometimes respond very well to SSRIs. Um, if you have a mood disturbance, treat it. You know, talk to your friends, talk to your family uh, about that. Get some input from them. Do you think I seem more irritable, moody, depressed, anxious? Are you feeling these things? Do you feel like life stress is more now than it was before? Are you an empty nester? Is that problematic for you? 
dealing with these things and trying to find clarity and peace with those issues can often be dramatically reflected in the quality of your sleep. Evaluate your schedule. Do you have one? You know, menopause is not too far away from retirement. Do you work from home? Are you somebody who sets your own hours? You can go to bed whenever you want to, sleep whenever you want to. Are you a shift worker? We know that those sort of circadian disorders can become more problematic as people get older. Are there things that you can do to create more consistency in your schedule? Your kids are gone. You don't have to get up and make their breakfast and get them out the door anymore. Is that negatively influencing that schedule? You used to have to pick them up and take them to practice. And while they were you know, kicking the soccer ball around, you ran laps around the, the field to get your exercise in. Have those sort of schedules and have those sort of anchors in your routine disappeared? Um, so really want to pay attention to those things and also evaluating the time you spend in bed with diaries or sleep trackers. How much time do you actually spend in bed versus how much time are you actually sleeping? One very effective thing for some people is, hey, instead of going to bed at 10 o'clock and getting up at seven, why don't you go to bed at 1030 and get up at seven? That's still a lot of sleep. Even if you went to bed at 11 and got up at seven, that's eight hours. So for a lot of individuals, as they get older, they actually have more opportunity to sleep, not less. Kids are gone. No more travel baseball. You know, I, I'm senior management. I don't have to go out in the field as much as I used to. In fact, I'm working from home. I've got all these things that are summing to allow me to sleep more. But does my body actually want more sleep? More sleep is not always better sleep. And again, the last thing I would say is value rest. You wake up more now than you used to. What is your plan tonight when you wake up? Are you going to stress about it? Get up and watch some episodes of Friends? Get on your Candy Crush? Like, what, what is your plan tonight? Or could you actually awaken, go to the restroom, get back in bed and meditate or pray? Or quietly read a real book with a dim light beside you and enjoy it because what a wonderful time to read this book relax have some quiet peaceful reflective time i wouldn't put on the news or rachel maddow or something of that nature but i would you know something that's peaceful calming relaxing reaffirming now when you've read for 35 or 45 minutes or an hour and you fall back to sleep how is that influencing your wake-up time i would suggest that it not your brain chose to wake up and spend a little extra time reading. That's fine. But you're going to keep that regular wake-up time anchored. You're going to still go to your exercise class in the morning. You're going to watch out for those naps during the day and really try to keep a great schedule and efficient night of sleep. So we're at 34 minutes. I don't want to go much further than this. Um, I appreciate the feedback about the episodes. We're going to keep making them look better, sound better have better content. I'm going to, I'm going to hit the microphone less as time goes on fewer times. So if you want more information or want to follow me, please follow me on my Twitter. It's Dr. Chris Winter. That's Dr. Chris Winter, Dr. Chris Winter on Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter on Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter on TikTok. I, I feel like I should give us a, a, a disclaimer to the 80 some odd people following me on TikTok that you're going to be wildly disappointed by my TikTok content, but hopefully on Instagram and, and Twitter, you're, you're going to like what you see. 
Um, if you struggle with insomnia, no matter what the cause, whether it's menopause or or or, or any in anything leading to to insomnia, please check out my book, The Sleep Solution: Why Your Sleep Is Broken and How to Fix It. You can buy it on Amazon, Kindle. It's on Audible if you want to listen to me read it to you. Um, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be funny and uplifting. And it'll give you real information about how you can make changes to improve your sleep. Please rate, subscribe, review this podcast. And please, please, please send me feedback. Love to hear your feedback. If I've made any errors, we'll correct them in future episodes. If you have topics of things you want to hear about, please let me know. Uh, the field of sleep is wide and there's lots to talk about and we're going to cover all the topics in time. Uh, again, I'm Dr. Chris Winter. This is Sleep Unplugged. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your active participation. Sleep well.